As a kid, some of my favorite toys had to do with toys that had motors on them. Anything that was like self-propelled or, I don't know, even wind-up toys. You know, you'd wind up the little, the little, you know, tool and then all of a sudden, bam, it'd take off. I also liked those planes that, you know, remember those that had the rubber band on them and you'd attach them to the propeller? I think they were made of balsa wood or something like that. And then you'd, you'd twist up the propeller as best you could and then release it. And it would somehow magically fly on its own. But I got to tell you, my favorite powered toy when I was a kid was something called a stomper. I don't really see those around much anymore, but they were kind of like a, a matchbox car or like a Hot Wheels car, but they were bigger. And then you'd take off kind of the chassis or the top of the vehicle and you'd put in a battery in the middle. And when you put it back together, now the lights would come on and it would be like this little four wheel drive vehicle. And my brothers and I used to create little tracks for these stompers and then release them and they would kind of go around in, in the circle and race each other. And it was super cool, especially when we figured out that there was a trick. If you found a battery that was about the same size, but had more juice, like a camera battery or something like that, then the stomper would even take off more. And so we used to have contests that way. It was a lot of fun. Later, as I became a teenager, I got into you know, motorcycles and ATV vehicles like three-wheelers and four-wheelers, and uh, I love those. In, in fact, even now, I, I drive a big truck with a V8 in it. There's just something about power, and I realize I, I, I may have an obsession a bit with, with power, but I've always liked things that had power to them, and I don't think I'm alone. I think we often are, are attracted to things of power. Now, for you, it may not be like a motorcycle or, or even a muscle car, but it might be maybe you're attracted to, to celebrity. That's a big thing in our culture, that people are attracted to the power of celebrity. Or it could be even something in nature, like a storm, or maybe every time you're at the beach, you just feel and, and hear and sense the power of the waves of the ocean. See, I think there's something about us that is attracted to, to power. In fact, today we're going to be talking about power. We're continuing our series in the book of Galatians. It was written by a, a guy named Paul, an early church leader, and he's going to address the idea of power, but not power in the sense of a motor or power that requires a battery. He's going to be talking about power that comes from the very presence of God, a power that enables us to live the best life we could possibly imagine. In this series, this Galatians series, we've, we've been in it now, uh, this is the fourth week, so if you missed any uh, previous episodes, you can always go find that on demand on our website or, or through our, our uh, social media channels. But we've been looking at how Galatians is helping remind us that we have precious freedom in Jesus, a freedom that we don't wanna give away easily. In fact, we are set free to live free. And that's been our, 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 our theme for this entire series so far. And last week, uh, Jeff, one of our elders, did a great job of, of teaching us uh, about the, the great doctrinal truth of freedom in Christ. In fact, he, he helped us understand from, from Paul, our, our master theologian, that actually salvation 
by faith makes the most sense. Salvation by any other way, either by trying to be the best person you can be or trying to adhere to every little thing that the law would have to offer, we could never do it. And so salvation by any other means other than faith in Jesus makes no sense. And so Paul wanted us to understand that Jesus plus anything else doesn't work. It's Jesus alone that saves us. And so that's what we learned last week. And this morning, we're going to talk again about the idea of living an empowered life. That in Christ, we're not only free, but we're free to live in a way that we can truly love our neighbors as ourselves. We're going to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I'm glad you're with us today. My name is Pastor Ben, and we do this every weekend, every Sunday, like Christians all over the, the planet. We gather to lift up the name of Jesus. We gather because so long ago, Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead and changed human history forever. And he called us to live an abundant life. So that's why we meet every Sunday. That's our regular rhythm. So we're glad you're with us online today. If you're new with us, let us know in the chat feature. We'd love to, to say hey to you and give you a shout out and maybe offer some next steps. If you've been with us for a while, let us know you're out there too. It's just, it's just fun to be able to connect with you that way. If you've got a prayer request, or again, if you're ready for a next step, anytime during this time we're, we're together, please let us know. We'd love to pray with you and move you forward in your faith. Let's now pause for a word of prayer and ask God to speak to all of our hearts. Our Father, we come before you. We thank you for loving us, for being faithful. Father, we're thankful that you empower us to live the best life ever. And I pray that everyone who, who is, is online together with us today would sense your power in a new way, that we'd be challenged and changed. And Father, help us to understand your word clearly today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today's message is Paul gets practical. The reason that I want to name it that way is because in this letter, we, we kind of have three different appeals from Paul, our writer. The first appeal we did a few weeks ago was that Paul gets personal because he needed to show his, his personal journey of faith for the, for the Galatian people as he's writing the letter. The second appeal was last week and it was, a, it was where Paul gets theological. And today we're looking at Paul getting practical because he's going to show us that life in Christ is a beautiful new way to be human. And it shows us a way forward by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's where we're at today. Now, you may wonder, why do we call Galatians a letter or a book? Maybe you've heard it both ways. People tend to call Galatians a, a book, but it's, it's actually a letter. And it's a letter that's broken up into six chapters. It's written by a guy named Paul, we've already been talking about, uh, at, at a time where he and, and his friend Barnabas are responding to something that's happening. Uh, the letter is a fiery response to something that was happening that Paul and Barnabas were really concerned about. You see, Paul and Barnabas were, were buddies and they met Jesus in a powerful way and they couldn't help but tell the story of Jesus. And they started to uh, start churches, small churches in the ancient Roman Empire, the first century. And, and, and this was a moment where the church was really young. I mean, Jesus Christ did his work uh, maybe a decade or a little bit, uh, 10 years or 15 years earlier. So this is a really vulnerable time in the, the expansion of the early church. And Paul and, and his friend Barnabas are planting churches, creating new Jesus communities all over the Roman Empire. And they end up planting some churches in a region that was once known as Galatia. Uh, now it'd be our, our modern Turkey. And they're planting these churches and then they, they went on to some other work. And, and some time after they planted these churches, some false teachers began to infiltrate those early churches. And they began to teach 
wrong things about Jesus. They begin to teach wrong things about Paul and his background. They begin to really kind of mess things up and confuse things for those early Christ followers. And Paul would have none of it. So he wrote this fiery letter, not only to defend himself, but to defend the faith and to remind people of the beauty of Jesus and the good news. And so we're going to pick up where we left off last week. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, a printed Bible or a device, I encourage you to find that and read that along with us. Uh, it's really important, I think, in your spiritual journey uh, to be looking at the scriptures in your copy. And it allows you to kind of interact with God's word in a powerful way. So we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to start with verse 1. I'm going to read off my tablet here, but you read on your device or your Bible there uh, with us. And we're going to read the first 12 verses of chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working itself through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that, that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. It's one way or the other, the cross or the law. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Wow. We've got to take a pause right there. Isn't that some fiery language from our writer and, and, and leader Paul here addressing these Galatians about their temptation to go back to any kind of Old Testament or Jewish law, trying to earn God's favor or earn salvation by physical markings on their body or anything that would happen with the Torah law, food and Sabbath and all that. Paul says, no way. It's either the cross or the law and you can't live by the law. It's gotta be by the cross. It makes no sense. And Paul's pulling no punches here. He uses some of the most shocking words in the Greek language to make his case here. And you may have caught some of those words. I mean, first of all, he talks about circumcision, and that's a simple word in the Greek, uh, peritemno, which means to cut around. Okay, we understand that. That's, uh, you know, a minor male surgery that they, they did in the Jewish community, the Jewish faith, uh, for, for many, many years. And the whole point of that was to separate them from the folks around them, that God's people would be kind of a unique people. Uh, so that was the first word he used. And remember, he's saying, you know what? Circumcision, uncircumcision, that doesn't mean anything. Only faith working through love. So he tosses that one out, but then he takes, uh, takes it up a notch and goes to the next word. 
He uses the word severed in verse 4. And that, that word is katargeo, which means to render idle, to cease, or in other words, to be severed. And he uses that concept to say, look, if you're going to try to go after the law and all those different things, you're basically cutting yourself off, severing yourself from the beauty of the grace in Jesus. What a scary place that would be. And then, and then he takes it one step further. And he's pretty upset at these false teachers. And so there in, in, in verse 11, we kind of you know, set that one apart when we were reading it there. But he uses the word that we uh, translate emasculate. And that's another Greek word. And that basically just means to cut off or amputate. I mean, do you feel Paul's frustration here? He just can't fathom that once you taste the free gift of salvation by faith in Jesus, you would ever want to go back to a system that you could never live by. He just does not understand it. Now, he understood the whole Jewish way of life. He totally understood the law. He was doing a pretty good job of it as a young man. But when he met Jesus, <laughs> game over. It's by faith. So he's frustrated. Do you feel his frustration? I mean, he's basically saying here, he wishes that all those false teachers would be cut away from the churches. He wishes that they would just be amputated from any influence they might ever have. Very harsh language, right? Well, I think we get it. I mean, accepting things like Jewish law and circumcision means that Jesus really didn't mean much. It just means that Jesus, he really didn't start a new kingdom. He didn't start a new way to be human. We're just going to throw Jesus completely out. And he's saying, look, returning to the food laws and, and the Torah and all these physical markings on your body, this makes no sense for these young Christians. They found Jesus, and that's the key. Going back would be a colossal adventure in missing the point. So he's, he's upset. Now, you notice if you're, if you're reading along in the Scripture, if you're reading along in this letter, by the way, I encourage you to read it from start to finish and really get a flow for the letter. But you'll notice as we, we kind of leave that first passage that we read, we get into verse 13, and, and Paul's going to, you know, that all being said, he's going to now switch directions and talk about what it really means to live a life of freedom, a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And that's where verse 13 takes us really through about half of chapter 6. And he's going to show us this new way to live that's empowered by by, by the Holy Spirit, by God's presence living in the, inside of each believer. It's a way out of the slavery and tyranny of law and the tyranny of works of the flesh, which always tend to destroy us. And he's going to make a contrast between spirit living and flesh living, and the two are not compatible. Let's, let's pick it up in verse 19 of chapter 5, where he's going to talk about these works of the flesh that destroy us. And here we go, ready for this list. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you're going to major in those things, that's not a kingdom of God way. And so he contrasts that way of destruction to the way of life. And he, ta he talks about walking in step with the Holy Spirit as a new way to be, to be human in, in Jesus' kingdom. Spirit-empowered living produces fruit. 
And you may be familiar with spirit fruit. That would include love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see, spirit-empowered living is like that. It brings good things. To, it creates the abundant life that we've always wanted. The works of the flesh destroy us. Trying to live by the law destroys us. We could never do it. But spirit-empowered living frees us to actually really love our neighbor. And the beautiful thing about loving our neighbor is that it keeps all of our freedoms in check. That we don't run rampant with our freedoms because we don't want to put someone else down. We don't want to use our freedom to hurt someone else. So not only does, does spirit-empowered living help us actually love our neighbor like Jesus commanded us to, it keeps our own freedoms in check because we have other people that are looking to us, counting on us, needing our encouragement and support. Putting someone else in front of ourselves really curbs things like excess and abuse and all of that. Walking by the Spirit empowers us to truly follow Jesus. Now, as we get into chapter six, and I'm just gonna read a little bit of chapter six, and again, I encourage you to, to, to pick this up and read this this week, but as we get into chapter six, especially the first part of it, Paul is gonna kind of flesh out what this spirit living means in community. And he's gonna talk about how we support one another, how we can correct one another when we see someone kind of going down a path of destruction. We can say, hey, I love you, man. Don't go down that, don't go down that road. There's a chance for, for some, some healthy accountability, all within the realm of humility, that we love each other in community. We love one another because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, but we do it with humility, great humility, that, that we don't see ourselves as better than someone else. That how, that's how it works, how spirit living plays out in the church community and the community of faith. In, in closing the passage that we're talking about today, and we're going to end the series next weekend. I'm excited about that. But I, I, my passage here today is going to end with verse 10. But let me, let me read to you some of the most favorite things that Paul ever wrote for me are in these two verses. Listen carefully to what Paul writes. In, in verse 9 of chapter 6, he says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. We're continuing to do good for each other, to, to love on one another, not because it's going to earn our salvation, it's because we have been saved, we have got the favor of God, and we have the Holy Spirit empowering us to truly love one another. We can continue to, 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 do, to do good work, to love our community, it's a beautiful way to end this passage, that we would love people both inside the church and outside our community of faith. We want to be that kind of people. I hope Dallas Church, you want to be that sort of person as well. Well, here's our big question for, for, for you and I today is, how is my walking with the Spirit life? How is your walking in the Spirit life? I mean, does your living, does my living, display the fruit of the Spirit? You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Jesus' presence through the Spirit within us acts like a transformer. You know, we've been talking about power, right, today? Jesus' presence by the Holy Spirit acts as a transformer. Following Jesus is not about some slick behavior modification program. It's about the Holy Spirit transforming us from the inside out. 
His Spirit lives within us and gives us the power to obey. You see, fruit, just like anything in agriculture, it requires cultivation. It just doesn't happen automatically. So even the fruit of the Spirit requires pruning and discipline and the daily decision to put Jesus and His kingdom first in our priority list. And that all happens when we surrender our life to Jesus. Today, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I encourage you to do that. It's the way to have abundant life. But we surrender to Him. And then I would, I would pray and, and encourage you to, to decide with me today that you would live in step with the Spirit. That you would live in step with the Spirit. That you would follow in step closely with what the Spirit is doing to transform your life into the life that Jesus planned for us. That we're, we're living a life that's transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit as we surrender every day to Jesus. It's a daily thing, surrendering to Jesus. You see, freedom is, is found in surrender, not self-dependence. Such an important word for us to hear. Living in step with the Holy Spirit means that our, our nature is, is slowly transformed and changed from being prone to evil to being prone to do good. That's transformation, not behavior modification. We need transformation. Now, you may ask other questions like, well, how do we do that, Ben, on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, I want to surrender to Jesus. Sounds awesome. I want that transformation. What's that process look like every day? Well, it's going to involve three things that we talk about all the time. Prayer scripture and walking in community, being in community with other followers of Christ. Those are tried and true. They've been true since the beginning of the church back in Paul's day and Barnabas's day and true now. Prayer, scripture, community. And that's how we live in step with the Spirit. And I encourage you to walk in step with the Spirit with me this week. Look, imagine if you, me, our community, our church were people that were constantly transformed by the Spirit of Jesus, to, to live free. Not just to be set free, but to live free. How powerful is that? I wanna pray for us here in a moment. Before I do that, let me just say again, if you've never made Jesus your Lord, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never surrendered to Him, made Him your Lord and Savior, and started, you, you've never had access to that Spirit-filled life, I encourage you to say yes to Him today. I'd love for you to let us know in the, the chat feature. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to help you take a next step. So if that's you today, I'm praying for you. We're praying for you that you'd say yes to Jesus, surrender to him and start living in step with the spirit as a transformed uh, person. But for, for others of us, maybe we've decided to follow Jesus a long time ago. And my encouragement to you is every day you would make an intention to surrender, to live in step with the Holy Spirit and to pursue prayer and scripture and community. Even during this crazy time that we're in, that these would be our practices. Let's pray together as we close. Our Father and our God in heaven, we're thankful for your word, uh, the encouragement that we get, the challenge that we get. Lord, this, this life of living empowered by the Holy Spirit, Father, it sounds amazing. Father, we pray that you'd help us to walk in step with your, with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray that you would empower us to truly love on our neighbor because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I, I pray that you'd continue to do immeasurably more than any of us could ask or imagine according to your power, the Holy Spirit power in us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.